You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, giving is a gift from God. And so it's not surprising to discover that generosity is actually good for us. Uh, And that's not just a pietistic assertion, that's a scientific fact. It makes you happier. A 2008 study by Harvard Business School professor Michael Norton and colleagues found that giving money to someone else lifted participants' happiness more than spending it on themselves. In a 2006 study, Jorg Moll and colleagues at the National Institute of Health found that when people give to charities, it activates regions of your brain that are associated with pleasure and with connection. And so it gives you this warm glow effect. Generosity, though, doesn't just make you happier, it makes you healthier. If you're on the older end of things, being generous with your time as you volunteer actually decreases your chance of death. Not in the long term, of course, uh, but in the next five years. Uh, So a 1999 study led by Doug Oman of the University of California found that elderly people who volunteered for two or more organisations had a 44% less chance of dying in the next five years. 44%. Generosity is also contagious. A study by James Fowler of the University of California and others Uh, shows that when one person behaves generously, it actually inspires other acts of generosity. And they discovered that this happens even kind of to the third person. So uh, generosity kind of inherently triples itself. And so if you're generous, you can actually set off a cascade of generosity. Well, we're made in the image of God, and so generosity is hardwired into us. And so it's not surprising that science is finally catching up with something Christians have always known. That is, generosity is good for you. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When our brief three-sermon series, we've been looking at cultivating a generous heart. And we want to be, as a community of people who follow Jesus, generous-hearted, generous in our attitudes, generous generous in our time, uh, generous uh, in our talents and in our finances. And in our first week, we noticed that God is abundantly generous. He just keeps giving. All that we are and everything we have are all abundantly given by God. And he's also given us his very self in the person of Jesus Christ. He hasn't held his self back, but uh, Jesus has become poor that we might become rich. And so in the first week, we had that definition of generosity. Generosity is the overflow to others of God's goodness to us. And so we're a thankful people. Last week, we looked at how actually one of the biggest hurdles to living generously and having a generous and open heart is when we make wealth our ultimate thing. When we jump on board with the rest of society and justify Uh, our inherent greed and make gold our functional God. Uh, What do I mean by that? I mean, we treat wealth, we treat money 
and look to wealth and money for the things that we should be looking to God for. That is, we look to wealth for security or self-worth. And we devote ourselves to making money rather than to magnifying God. And so having, having those two planks in place, God is generous and we need to keep God as the first joy and the one to whom we look. We can now have a look at what it might actually practically mean to ourselves imitate our God, to be generous, to have generous hearts, to be open-hearted people, to let God's goodness to us overflow to others. And to do that, we're going to have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses uh, 6 to 15. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, it might be good to turn that up in your Bible, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, and uh, we'll be referring to that a number of times through the sermon. But as we do, we'll look at, number one, the attitude of giving, and number two, the result of giving. So number one, the attitude of giving, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, just to give you a little bit of the context here, Paul is writing to the Corinthians because a lot of different reasons, but one of them is he's going to come and visit them and he's been taking up a collection from all the churches in Asia Minor, so modern-day Turkey, because the Christians back in Jerusalem are in desperate need. There's a famine going on and not only that, the Christians are facing persecution as well. So they're in a bad way and so... Uh, Paul is taking up a collection from all the Gentiles, uh, churches in Asia Minor, and going to bring that to them. And he's going to come to Corinth. He wants them to be ready. And so he's encouraging them to be generous. So while Paul is actually talking about a very specific time and place, I think there are principles of generosity that we can take for ourselves, whatever the occasion of our generosity and I think that what he's saying is that our generosity should be, have an attitude that is considered, that is planned and thoughtful and cheerful. So verse 7, each of you must give as you've made up your mind. See, generosity doesn't just happen, generally speaking. It's something you have to be intentional about, something you need to make your mind up about to sit down and look at how much you're getting and look at how much you're giving and plan how you're going to do it. And that's with every part of our lives, whether we're thinking of giving talents and time, uh, but particularly in finances. Now, for some people, this is much easier than others. Some people are just really meticulous kind of people. You sit down and you plan everything. You've got a plan for, you know, 10 years' time. You know exactly what you're going to do. Uh, my grandfather was one of those kind of meticulous people. When he died, we discovered uh, a series of, of exercise books in which he had written every single day for 50 years the money that he got and the money that went out. Every single day. I wish I had that gene. I'm, it skipped me. Uh, so often, uh, I did, for, for some people, it's, you know, you're in church and pretend it's pre-pandemic times when we're doing something as crazy as passing around a plate. 
and uh, you see the plate coming towards you, and suddenly you get this cold sweat, and you think, oh, my goodness, what do I have? Uh, and thankfully, you know, you find a couple of coins, and yeah, you plonk it in, and it makes a satisfying sound so other people can see that you actually did give. Um, it's Paul saying that's actually probably not a really great way of practising generosity. He says, be considered. Think about it. Uh, and not just in terms of giving to the church, but to also to the poor, uh, also to world mission. The Bible encourages us to give in lots of different directions. The point is to be intentional. So one of the ways people in our church are intentional, and particularly in the 9 o'clock congregation, but I'm sure some here do that as well, is we get the envelopes. And that's a, that's a great way of being disciplined in it because you very intentionally and mindfully put the money in week by week and, uh, and give it in. That's a, that's a good way to do it. Of course, there's other ways as well. Uh, you can set up the direct debit straight into the church and that's got a lot of strengths in that it happens regularly. Uh, you can't kind of skip it. Uh, so you know it's, it's going in. Of course, it does come with some dangers as well. So one of the things about direct debit giving is that you can set and forget. And so, you know, you can set it up in 2009 and it's still just doing its thing in 2021 uh, or, or not. During this week, I thought I should check our finances to make sure I'm practising what I'm preaching. Uh, it's always a good thing for a minister to be doing. Uh, and so I was incredibly alarmed to discover that the automatic payment I'd set up needed some attention. Uh, so I'm preaching as much to myself as anything here. Uh, it's good to review and just think about and be intentional about what we're doing with our giving. Uh, if you've managed to pick up one of the series booklets... Uh, we, we printed a number out, they've, they've all gone. We emailed it out, but if you would like a copy of the booklet, we can just let me know and we can print some for you. Uh, but at the end of that booklet, there's a very short, very simple exercise uh, that you can do to help you review and think about your giving. So just grab one of those and have a look. It's not rocket science by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but perhaps an occasion uh, to just think about it again. Uh, the attitude of giving is considered and thoughtful, but it's also cheerful. Uh, so Paul says, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Often when we talk about money, you know, you kind of come to church and there's a point in the year where they start talking about money and you feel like... Uh, they kind of laid the guilt on you. And so you go, oh, I know I should. And so you go back and you start doing it, but there's, there's not a whole lot of cheer. There's not a whole lot of joy. Uh, Paul says, actually, what's happening in the heart's important. And he mentions two drivers of grumpy giving. So here's the drivers of grumpy giving. It's reluctance and compulsion. Reluctance is, a, is an internal thing. So there's something in our hearts that kind of doesn't want to do it. I kind of, I know I could, I'd, I'd rather buy that actually, but I know I should do it here. It's kind of 
a reluctance. It's an internal thing. Compulsion is an external thing. Uh, you're doing it, but you don't really want to do it. You're only doing it because someone else is making you, either because uh, you're being told to by someone or because you've just been made to feel guilty, and so you do it. And both are actually killers of cheerful giving. See, again, Paul's more concerned about what's happening in our hearts than about how much we're giving. He wants this to do them good. This is a spiritual good. Uh, He wants them to find the joy there is in giving. And I think there's clues as to how to get that joy in the very next line. So verse 8, And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. So there are two keys to uh, cheerful generosity here. The first is that cheerful giving comes from a great trust that God will provide for us everything that we need, from a place of security, from a place of stability. Now, in a pandemic, we long for security and we long for stability. It's what we're after. And so often we look to our finances to give us that. Uh, We think, I'll grab it all in and so then I'll be secure. But actually, the only truly secure and unchanging and stable thing in this world is God's love for you and God himself. Trust him. I reckon if you thought back over your life, I'm sure you could tell stories of times when God has provided for you in surprising ways. Uh, when I was studying at Ridley College, our final year of uh, study, Hannah and I didn't have an income at all. Uh, we'd saved up some money. I didn't just go, okay, it's just going to be faith from here on in. Um, perhaps I should have. But uh, we'd saved up some money. But I kept on doing the sums and we were going to run out like three months early. And uh, I've got to say, I'd like to, I'd like to say I was that man of of faith and I wasn't worried about it but I was, I was but God provided we didn't tell anyone or anything but one day I was in at Ridley someone tapped me on the shoulder and said there's an envelope in the office for you I went to the front office and there was $3,000 in there and God just gave it like we hadn't solicited it it just came a wonderful grace of God he provided Uh, I was sick for three years I didn't work for a year and a half God continued to look after us with house and we didn't lack we didn't lack at all Uh, even to little things like a couple of weeks ago uh, we received unexpectedly some money and uh, we thought fantastic well that's good the bank account's looking a bit better Uh, and then the next day the fridge died (laughs) and what a gracious provision of God isn't it it's wonderful God provides you know, always, it's not, you know, it's not always he's going to make you incredibly rich, but he provides. And it's often not as spectacular about, as, as that, but he, he gives. You can trust him. And he provides every single day for you in the, all the mundane ways, and not necessarily the spectacular ways, but it's every day, every day. So the first key is trust in God's provision. 
The second key is contentment. Now, you can't actually see the word in there, but where it says having enough of everything, in the original it's one word, it's translated elsewhere as contentment. So the same word is used in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6, uh, which should be on the screen there. There we go. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, it's actually really hard to be content in our culture because almost everything that we see on a screen is trying to stoke our discontent. Uh, Advertising is based on making you dissatisfied with what you have. And so you, you might have a perfectly good car. It gets you admirably from point A to point B. You've always been quite satisfied with the car. But then you see the ad of that new car that is so fast and so exciting. And that ad that says, if you have this car, you will be fast and exciting. And you think, I don't know, now that I look at my car, it's, it's lacking something. I think it's lacking, I don't know, speed. It's lacking speed. And it's lacking excitement. Uh, and so suddenly you think, well, I'll get that new car. I need it, actually. I need it. Uh, or you've got a fridge that keeps things cold. I've, I've recently done some research on fridges. But then you see that ad for the fridge with the ice thing on front. And you think, I didn't even know fridges could have an ice thing on the front, but wouldn't that be wonderful? Actually, my, that's what my life has been missing. Could you imagine in summer just be going, being able to go in and you don't even have to open the door You just get your ice. I I need that. I wish my fridge had the icing on front and suddenly your your fridge isn't nearly as good as you, you need the new one. Everything in advertising is designed to stoke our discontent and discontent kills cheerful giving. It, It actually stokes fervent grabbing. There's ad and there's no joy in it. There's no joy in it. Even when you get the fridge with the ice thing, the joy doesn't last very long. But if you have contentment, you're happy and you're satisfied already in what you have and so there's actually nothing that's binding you or holding you up. You're able to just open your heart. And so if you find you're not actually cheerful in giving, if you find you're a bit of a grumpy giver, uh, perhaps have a think, have a check. Uh, am, I, am, I, am I trusting in God to provide? Do I believe that he will? And uh, how's my contentment with what I have? Well, the attitude of giving is considered and cheerful, but Paul also talks about the result of generosity. What results when we're generous? Uh, so number one, what results is we're blessed. So verses 6 and 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So the picture Paul's using here is of sowing and reaping. Now, I am no gardener, but uh, I understand that a lot of the time, even if I only sow one seed, I will get more than one fruit or one flower. Uh, But come harvest time, it's still going to be a pretty poor salad. There's not going to be much to it. But if you sow more, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Hannah was doing some gardening. She was planting some ranunculus. And apparently to activate the ranunculus bulbs, you soak them in water. And so Hannah soaked the packet of ranunculus bulbs in water only to discover that once they were all activated, that there were 280 of them that she was going to have to plant because they're all now activated. And so uh, Hannah, uh, Hannah planted 280 in one afternoon. Uh, the next slide is a picture of our front yard. <laughs> Come summer uh, or spring. Uh, and, and that at the front there is me looking for one of my children. <laughs> You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. You give bountifully, you get bountifully. Now, we have to be so careful here. Because there are so many churches that are teaching at the moment that what happens is if you give a lot, uh, God will make you rich. So the idea is God wants you to prosper, God wants good for you, and the good for you is to be astoundingly rich and for all your businesses to prosper. And so what you need to do is you give us a lot of money and then God will give you a lot of money. Now, they don't say quite as boldly as that, but uh, some do, actually. Uh, but that's not what the Bible's saying here. That's, and that's not actually how God works. That would actually be God activating your greed to give generously. God doesn't do that. He said, greed's not good. So what's he saying here? Well, if you look carefully at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, what's the harvest that he talks about? What's the harvest? The harvest is actually righteousness. He's saying you give generously, it's going to grow you in character, grow you in godliness. It'll also grow you in joy, as we heard at the beginning of the sermon, and grow you in health. It is actually inherently good for you, and doing things that God says to do will inherently go well for you. But it's actually talking about kingdom growth, a kingdom harvest. It's not saying God wants you to be rich with money. In fact... Uh, from our gospel reading, that would be an unkind thing of God to do because it says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. It'd just be making it harder. Uh, But of course, all things are possible for God. So we need to be careful as we think about that. Paul points uh, not to happiness or health, but to a character formed towards godliness. But look at what else happens. B, God gets thanks and praise. So, verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, 
but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So their generosity, our generosity, when done in the name of Christ, actually results in thanks and praise to God and is a form of obedience to the gospel. This is actually a gospel issue. Generosity isn't like a Christian, you know, there's, there's the gospel and then there's generosity and that's a, a really nice optional extra. This is an expression of the gospel in the world. When others see the generosity of Christians and churches, they end up praising and honouring God for the good that is done. I want us to be a church that's generous so that God can be glorified. Well, God is generous and we want to be like him. Our generosity is God's goodness to us, overflowing to others. Our giving should be considered and cheerful and will result in blessing for us. And much more importantly, glory for God. And my hope for us as a church is that we will be that spring, that cascade of generosity. Not, not just within the church, but beyond the church in Cranbourne and Turidan and, be, and beyond. That we would come to be known as a generous church. A church that gives of its time, its talents and its money for the good of others, for the glory of God. Well, I hope, uh, in some ways, I hope that you've been as challenged as I've been over these three sermons uh, on generosity. And my prayer is that God would continue to be at work by His Spirit uh, to open our hearts more and more to each other uh, and to God. So uh, I'm going to pray that God would work that in us. Would you join me as I pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the way in which you are such a good God and such a generous God and that you shower us with your blessings. Uh, Father, we thank and praise you that uh, your love for us is so clearly expressed. Uh, Lord, would you give us thankful hearts and Lord, would you give us generous hearts? Would you make us more like you? Uh, Heavenly Father, help us to see those areas of our hearts where we need to uh, grow or, or just open. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we might practically uh, find ways. Would you lead us in ways in which we can be generous, and not just as individuals, but as a church, that your name might be glorified your people grown to maturity in Christ and your gospel proclaimed, not only in word, but in deed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.